Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. My guest today is Bob Antone. Bob was introduced to me by an old college roommate of mine who sent me this text message that says, hey, you need to check this out. Well, I checked the link, couldn't get the link because it was on next door and I'm not a member of the neighborhood. So he's blah, 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 blah. He sent me this stuff and it was because there was an article about the odd fellows in Snoqualmie. That didn't really interest me. Um, but I listened to Bob's music. So was it 10 years ago, Bob, that you released this album? Yeah, so 20 years ago in yeah, 2002. 20. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so 20 years ago, Bob released this album and he, he played it at the Oddfellows Lodge in Snoqualmie, Washington. Correct? Uh, kind of. We had a tribute to loggers because okay. Warehouser Mill uh, That's right. made an announcement that they were shutting down the last of the timber crew. So we had a celebration that was covered in the Seattle Times. And then shortly after that celebration, um, I wrote and recorded uh, this album the same year. Okay. So that's how I was introduced to Bob. So Bob and I get on the phone, as I do with all my guests, to basically break the ice, say hello, see see if there's a, a good fit here for a conversation. And the next thing you know, Bob and I are talking, I don't know, about an hour. It was supposed to be a 15 minute call. We end up on the phone for about an hour and Bob's got all these other areas of interest here. So this conversation, who knows where it's going to go. And that's going to be half the fun of it. But Bob, why don't you say hello to the audience and you tell them what you want them to know about you. All right. So yeah, I live uh, in North Bend, Washington, which is 30 miles east of Seattle. My wife, Laura and I, uh, we have an art studio here. And we live right at the base of Mount Si. My family's been in the Snoqualmie Valley for about 100 years. And my dad was born at the Mill Hospital, Snoqualmie Falls, <laughs> in about 1940. Um, my grandmother was a nurse there. And my grandfather worked as a lumber grader at the old mill, starting okay. in the 20s into the 30s. I grew up with storytelling, um, folklore. Um, my mom's side of the family goes back to, uh, old Seattle, 1888, but we have relatives all over the Pacific Northwest, many of them in Washington state. And as you can imagine, have collected quite a few, um, stories (laughs) and just all kinds of nuggets of information that it's, it's naturally occurring when you live in one area for a long time. So, and many of them very strange, obscure and um, I'm glad to go into that if you awesome. are interested. Yeah. So let me ask you, so you're living in North Bend now. You grew up in Snoqualmie? Mm-hmm. Or did you grow up in North Bend? I, I grew up in North Bend, yeah. Okay. I grew up in North Bend. Mm-hmm. So have you lived your entire life in North Bend? Or did you did you ever, when you were younger, did you go and get the bug to travel and go somewhere? Or have you always stayed close to home? Uh, I've always been close to home, but I have traveled. I've been to Ukraine one time. Um, I've been to, you know, other states, other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as where I call home, yeah, North Bend has always been uh, that location. Uh, I lived in Snoqualmie, you know, basically the same 15-mile radius for, you know, <laughs> a long time. But I've traveled, yes. Okay. So nothing's changed in North Bend in your lifetime, has it? I mean, it's still the sleep. I'm kidding. It's North Bend is... Um... 
like lots of King County, the growth has been staggering. Um, yes. Lots yes, of, it's... lots of changes. Um, lots of changes. So growing up there, let's, let's, let's start this way. So growing up there, when did you get into music? I come from a family of musicians. Um, okay. So my mom uh sang and played guitar you know my dad sang in the choir there with her at the church our lady of sorrows yeah my siblings all of them play music uh, we come from a history of musicians on both sides so okay. it came very naturally yep what was the first instrument you picked up as a kid i was in musical kindergarten and i played piano marilyn haley um whose husband was the mayor of north bend she was my piano teacher, and I went to musical kindergarten when I was five years old. What is musical kindergarten? Musical kindergarten, um, it was like daycare with music. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically. Cool. <laughs> so my mom tried to get me to play piano when I was a kid, and I, she tried to teach me how to play piano, and it just, I fought her every step of the way. Mm -hmm. And I kind of regret that now. But when I was, you know, six, seven years old, I, I fought her every step of the way. Was that like that for you or did you take to it right away? Did, did, did music, did you connect with music right away? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And if you've ever been to this part of the world and part of the state, you know, that, uh, it's very dark. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, uh, very, uh, gloomy in the wintertime. And so naturally you go inside of yourself. Many people find a way to go insular and they go into creative pursuits. It's kind of like a distraction from the weather. You find that sunshine with, within yourself and music is one of those ways. So a lot of the music that comes out of this area, you know, is very dark and brooding and intense. Mm -hmm. And naturally people here have to survive, you know, it's darker. I mean, you literally will drive to Issaquah, Bellevue, Seattle, and you'll notice it's like a whole different world. And meanwhile, in North Bend, it's this windstorm. And I mean, it feels like the apocalypse here. So it's a different climate in this little valley. Absolutely. Okay. So you started with the piano. Mm -hmm. When did you branch out to other instruments? Um, well, there's a family violin from 1893. Oh. And it came from old Seattle. And my great-grandfather played it. And so in about 1989, um, I wanted to start uh, playing the violin or fiddle. And I had seen the movie uh, Darby O'Gill and the Little People, you know, that Disney film? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I just loved the way he was playing the music and those little people were doing backflips, you know, the leprechauns under the mountain. And I was like, I want to be like him. So, <laughs> so that's how I got started. Uh, with the fiddle or the violin, but uh, yeah, and that was in about 1989. So okay. my first, yeah, my first teacher, I had a teacher and she was part of the Washington Old Time Fiddlers Association, Washington Old Time Fiddlers, and they, uh, you know, preserve traditions in Washington State, especially square dance, contra dance, Irish, you know, polkas, jigs, you name it, uh, any kind of fiddle music played in the state. So she was a member of that. And then also she was Eastern European. Um, so I also had some exposure to Eastern European music, you know, folk music from 
um, you know, Hungarian folk music, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's how I got started with that instrument. Okay. So as of, as we're recording this, I can say 2023, mm-hmm. how many instruments do you consider yourself proficient in? Well, I can play about 13 instruments and then I, I teach about six of those. Wow. Okay. So, so what six, what six are you teaching? So I teach piano, I teach guitar, ukulele, I teach violin, and I teach banjo as well. I also teach uh, voice, or I, you know, coach, uh, vocal coach, you know, I teach people how to sing. Okay. I think that's about six so far. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're six. Yeah. Basic math, I think we're at six. Okay. Right on. So where are you teaching at? We have a studio here along North Bend Way, and we teach right out of our home. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a wonderful job. I just love to uh, see someone who maybe has never discovered the music before, and they become a musician mm-hmm. because of me. You know, I feel so proud when I see like a say like a six or seven year old. You just uh, flourish and become. Uh, an artist, you know, right. suddenly you've created this musician on planet earth and it's just amazing. And I really enjoy it. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. And I, oh boy, I'm going to break my promise already. I promised I wouldn't ask anybody about COVID anymore. I'm just trying to put that in the rear view mirror, but how did your musical business navigate the pandemic? It actually fared pretty well. I was teaching at music and arts in Issaquah, I would commute to Issaquah, and I was a music teacher there for three years. And then when uh, 2020, March of 2020, um, everything was shut down. And so then my wife and I made the decision to uh, convert everything to virtual online. And so a lot of people, you know, wanted to continue the comfort of music lessons. And so we were able to do that through Zoom and continue going. Um, You know, I, I think my numbers were cut in half you know, during that time, I think I went from like almost 30 to, you know, around 15 or 12 or 15. Okay. But now we're back up to like 40. I have like 40 students. Wow. And yeah. Okay. That's awesome. So it was, I mean, they'll guess the thing about the pandemic that's interesting is listening to how people um, have adapted their lifestyle their businesses during a period where they didn't have a choice. You, 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 you couldn't meet students in person. We weren't allowed to, um, you couldn't, if you had a restaurant, people weren't coming into your restaurant. So they found other ways of, you know, serving their clients, which is, I, I find it to be inspiring when I hear how people have navigated it. Not that it isn't, wasn't super challenging because it absolutely was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. So let's, let's go. So you started with the piano and with violin. Mm-hmm. When did you start writing your own music? Hmm. Let's see. I think I wrote my first songs when I was about 13 or 14. Okay. And I, I wrote them on the guitar. You know, my mom mm-hmm. is a guitar player. And all through my life, I mentioned my family and folklore and storytelling. Um, I grew up listening to tales of, you know, hopping trains um living in hobo camps logging camps my dad would talk about working for the forest service building trails on the dynamite crew uh, um, my 
grandmother would talk about being a nurse in the old days. And my aunts and uncles always had uh, stories and jokes to tell. We came, uh, I come from a very rich storytelling family. So a lot of my music was inspired by, I guess, legends, local stories, legends, history, heritage, uh, not only from my own family, but from the surrounding community. So many of my early compositions were inspired by the mountains around here, legends, ancient legends surrounding rivers and mountains and supernatural beings. Uh, my grandfather uh, used to share tales of invisible beings, like he would encounter almost like extraterrestrial or uh, alien beings when he was hopping trains. He called them his guardian angels. These invisible beings would save his life on many occasions. And he swore up and down they were real. And uh, very interesting, he also saw lights in the sky over the mountains. And so I grew up with, with so much of that lore that it naturally became part of uh, my musical storytelling all throughout my life up until today. So so that's where the, the lyrical inspiration comes from. Um, mm -hmm. Musically, what was, in, as a teenager, what was inspiring you music with, with sound, not lyric per se, but musically, like who were yeah. you gaining influence from at that point? Yeah, it's a very, um, it's a very interesting mix. Uh, my, both of my sisters were uh, playing piano at the same time. They were taking from Mrs. Lundquist. Um, I took from Mrs. Lundquist as well. They were playing mostly classical music. Um, but I remember hearing a lot of Rachmaninoff and I heard a lot of, you know, Bach and Beethoven, Mozart, um, a lot of classical music was in the household. You know, every day after school, I'd hear both of my sisters practicing <laughs> classical standards all the time, right? So then on the other side of the coin, I would go over to my grandparents' house, that's where I am right now, in the living room, and my grandfather would sing a hobo song, you know? He would <laughs> sing a song from hopping the trains or working on the railroad. So there was this rough folk music, this, you know, you know, basically Americana. Uh, I don't really like the word Americana, but I just said it. Oh, well, whoopsie daisy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so it was this mix of classical music and regional folk music. So, um, yeah, and like I said, my teacher was part of the Washington Old Time Fiddlers. Uh -huh. So I was just going back and forth. Uh, you could almost say like a musical schizophrenic. <laughs> wow, anyway, okay. Yeah. And then some of the some of the jazz music, you know, um, from the Seattle area, some of the early jazz as well has an influence. And so we can talk more about, um, you know, the history of regional music if you want at some point. But sure. that's okay. one of my answers, I guess. There you go. So so it's interesting because I, I don't think I've ever talked to a musician who would claim that their uh, their musical influences was, say, Rachmaninoff and Hobo music. It's, it's a very intriguing combination. That's, yes. Well, yeah. It gets a little more weird as we <laughs> go along here uh, because the other influence, um, heavily influenced by avant-garde uh, composers like John Cage, of course, love David Lynch, of course, love his film, Mm -hmm. work and tv show i was a fan before 1989 before they 
came to film here for Twin Peaks, the pilot episode, I was already a fan of Eraserhead. Now, Eraserhead. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. I watched, I, I think I watched that as a, you know, when I was 13 years old, and I probably watched it 200 times. <laughs> and, and the soundtrack, the mood, the darkness, the surrealism, the dreamlike nature of that movie really influenced me as well other composers like john cage and so the avant-garde element is very prominent as well and sometimes during a song you'll hear i will purposefully create a dissonant noise for maybe five or ten seconds or less it's just a splash of that color of the mm -hmm. avant-garde will come in yep that's really cool so now I can say Rachmaninoff, Eraserhead, and Hobo Music. I don't oh, know yeah. that I'm ever going to speak to anybody that's going to have those three influences. That's kind of <laughs> cool. All right. So as you, as you evolved musically, mm -hmm. when did you start performing publicly? Okay, so I performed publicly for the first time in 1989. And yeah, so I've been playing out publicly for over 30 years. Yeah, okay. And of all your 30 years, any memorable performances, good or bad? Oh boy. Um, memorable performances. Jeez, there's so many. Um, okay, here's one. I used to be in a band called the Tiny Kings. And the lead singer, his name was Paul Hutzler. And Paul came from Baltimore, moved to Seattle. I think he still lives in Seattle. Uh, been a few years since I talked with him. But we were playing at a location at Pike Place. It's now called the Rabbit Box. But it used to be a lounge. And so <laughs> I would get a little crazy, you know, during the performances. And Everybody knew that I had this very beautiful violin from 1893 from my family, my great-grandfather, that went back to old Seattle. Everybody knew that was the violin that I'm playing, right? Mm -hmm. So back then, I used to have quite a sense of humor. And, um, you know, at one point in the – I still have a sense of humor, but back <laughs> then, it was a little, a little, little more wild, I would say. I, I put that violin on the floor. And then I told everybody, I was like, watch this, guys. And then everybody was like, oh, my God. And they, everybody thought that I was going to stomp on my violin during the show, you know, like some rock star would do. But I basically went and I jumped up in the air and I saw everybody gasp. Uh, but I jumped over the violin. I didn't I didn't land on it. And then I go, just kidding. <laughs> See, I'd be terrified that I'd screw that up and land on the family heirloom. I just, uh, good, good for you. But I just, boy, I couldn't see me doing that. That is kind of a, a good stage gag though. I could see myself being in the audience and, you know, so, all right. I was probably intoxicated at the time or partly intoxicated. Somehow that doesn't surprise me, but okay. I mean, because of the event. Let's flash forward to 2023, 2022, music collaborations, things like that. Where are you drawing your influence today? Yeah, well, it's, it is a accumulation of all of those things that we've already mentioned. Plus, um, starting in around 
2003, actually 1997. But all through the years, I've also had contact with a lot of the local indigenous uh, music and language. And okay. so added to the mix, and again, it's a splash. Every once in a while, there'll be a little splash of a Salish reference. And okay. we've had a lot of, you know, ceremonies here at the house, you know, of all different tribes, including the Hmong people from Laos. We've had many uh, tribal members from all over the United States, uh, including uh, we had a Navajo code talker or Dene code talker that lived here for a week. So musically over the years, I've also been exposed and my children have been exposed to tribal music, Native American music, and much of it Pacific Northwest. Okay. We don't outright uh, perform it. You know, I don't perform Salish songs, even though I know them. Mm -hmm. But at times during the music, there will be a moment when I'm singing or someone's singing or there's, there's a melodic phrase. And I feel for a second, like, oh, my gosh, I feel the Salish presence. Let's just say that for a All split right. second or maybe five seconds. Okay. So today we have a band called Tinkham Road. Now Tinkham Road is uh, all of those styles combined that we've talked about already. <laughs> um, okay. I know it's, that's crazy, but that's what it is. Okay. Uh, and, and Tinkham Road is an exit off of Interstate 90. Yep. And Tinkham was a surveyor and is accredited by uh, accidentally finding the route over Snoqualmie Pass back in the 1850s. He accidentally stumbled across this area. He didn't mean to. He just kind of wandered through. And then he finished his journey through the Cedar River watershed. So <clears throat> down like Maple Valley in that way. But he, he stumbled over the pass. And some say that there were two uh, gentlemen of the local tribe that were watching him as he blindly stumbled through the woods. Uh, and then they reported back to Fall City. And there was a longhouse there in Fall City. And um, they told them that they saw this person wandering through the woods at a, a, what is previously a secret trail. I-90 used mm -hmm. to be a secret trail, a seldom used walking trail. So Tinkham Road is all of those things, including Bigfoot, UFOs. We write songs that celebrate our strange history, the strange history of this state. We have the very first uh, Men in Black uh, sighting, Mar uh, the Maury Island incident. We have the very first UFO reported, Maury Island incident, and then also the more famous Mount Rainier, Kenneth Arnold. Uh, our band performs at uh, Flying Saucer Festivals. Um, I'm also a speaker uh, at Bigfoot events occasionally. Um, and I'm also, my wife and I are considered paranormal investigators. So the music actually goes hand in hand. It's like a soundtrack to regional culture. And uh, obviously there's so much here, as you know. Right. So Ben, there's a lot to unpack there. I know. I know. Tinkham. <laughs> I, I, the question. Yeah. When Tinkham discovered the, the way over the pass, you know, where's was he heading east to west or was he heading west to east? Because the way you just described the, the, the native 
natives went and reported to Fall City, which is west. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, was Tinkum coming from the east towards the west? Do we know? Yeah, so the last time I looked into that, from what I understand, he came up over what's called the Cedar Pack Trail. Uh, we have our drinking water from Chester Morse Lake, used to be called Cedar Lake. Right above that, mm-hmm. there is a trail that goes all the way to Yakima. They also call that the Yakima Pass. I believe uh, he came over that area. This is all up for speculation. Speculation, because, okay. Yeah, because historians can't agree. But the last time I looked into it, and we were talking to some of the some of our colleagues, um, the indication is that he came up over the rim of what would be Chester Morris Lake, down uh, where exit 38 is, kind of above that, maybe exit 32, just came down the hillside a little bit, and then figured out, oh my God, I'm lost. He was coming, I believe, from east to west, trying to find a route over Snoqualmie Pass. And that Cedar Pack Trail was probably the most, the optimum choice for a railroad and uh, for later a freeway. Uh, But so he came up over what's now I-90 and then was like, I don't know where I'm at. The story goes, he went back up to Chester Morris Lake, down into what would become Rattlesnake Lake. And then the story goes in the journals that I saw, uh, the journals indicate that he went out the Cedar River watershed uh, that way and okay. out to Seattle that way. So um, that's the story that I was told. And I may, because there's so much debate on that, mm-hmm. I may have that wrong. Well, so we're going to quote you, you on it. Is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, it's, it's, it's the, the whole history of it is uh, of the, of the area is, is fascinating in the stories that, um, people tell. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to lightly touch on a topic. I don't want to go okay. into much detail because I think it is worthy of a, a more in-depth conversation. But I would like you to elaborate a little bit. You, you, you've made the statement, and I'm paraphrasing, but the first UFO sighting in Maury Island, right? Mm-hmm. Am I, you know, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so... In 1947, they consider that the summer of the saucers. Now, June 21st, 1947, the story goes that Harold Dahl and his son, they were salvagers. They would salvage logs on Puget Sound. Okay. They were out in a boat salvaging logs, and uh, suddenly... Uh, above their head, the story goes, there were, were six donut-shaped objects. They look like donuts, mm-hmm. okay? They flew over the boat, and the center of these objects were glowing uh, almost like lava. And slag uh, was dropping out of the center of these objects and hitting the water and creating quite a lot of steam because of, of the heat Mm-hmm. And as it flew over, as these six objects flew over their boat, it started hitting their boat and apparently burning holes through their boat. They had a dog on board, and the dog unfortunately perished because some of the hot metal slag killed the dog. It injured either it was Harold's or his son's arm. I can't remember which one at this time. I think you can look this up online. Some of it's online. Anyway, they made an emergency uh, return to Tacoma and then. 
The story goes that um, a few days later, they got a knock on the door, and there was a man in black standing <laughs> there. And that is the very first popular culture reference to Men in Black is Washington State, 1947. Now, I don't know that so, Tommy Lee Jones was old old enough to be – just kidding. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. that's I've never heard that story ever ever heard that story and so the fact that it takes place in in Puget Sound and Tacoma that's that's mind-boggling and I we I would like you to be back on and discuss that that whole genre more mm-hmm. but we're gonna go back to the whole music thing again so your sure. band though your band mm-hmm. is it Am I am I being proper when I say your band kind of celebrates the the less understood aspects of our region? Uh you could say that. The other way to to also describe what we do is creating civic pride. Now, every town you know has a history, every neighborhood, you know, has a history, every family has a history. Right. And, and things that they're proud of. And musical expressions in Washington State um, can create a huge amount of civic pride, especially when you can say, hey, this song came from this town. It was written in this year by this person, and you can't find it anywhere else, or it's very regional and very specific. And those are a lot of the songs that I like to and we like to focus on because it does create civic pride and people can surround that song. I mean, if you think about, you know, songs from other states, Blue Moon of Kentucky. I mean, you, you think about, you know, that's a good example. Uh, just think about any song that represents a, a region and, and regional pride. So we have a song called uh, Little Log Cabin in the Cascade Mountains. And it was written by Harold Weeks in around 1917. Now he married Hattie Taylor uh, and they were married out in front of the North Bend Washington train depot in around 1917 or so. And then he wrote that or bits of it on his uh, honeymoon with her. And her dad was the founder of North Bend, Washington. Now, Little Log Cabin is a great Tin Pan Alley tune, you mm-hmm. know, and we've been we've been playing it for, for quite a few years. Now, it was known, you know, 20 years ago, people had uncovered it, you know, uh, Linda Allen in her book, Washington folk songs or Washington songs and lore, Linda Allen had included that song. But now our band has created such a, uh, I guess, a reintroduction so people can sing along. People know the song like the back of their hand. So it's now living history. It's can, it's back in the constant play, constant celebration of that song, uh, you know, and it's over a hundred years old and it's from right here uh, inspired by life in the Snoqualmie Valley in North Bend, Washington. So let's talk about your band. How many members are in your band and what instruments are being played? Boy, it started out with a few members and (laughs) literally it was October of 2014. I did a solo performance at Sigillo Cellars in Snoqualmie and the owner liked it and he came up to me and he says, how would you like to play once a month here? I said, I'd love to. I shook his hand. And so ever since October of 2014, once a month, 
I would return and each time I would bring a few more musicians with me. <laughs> <laughs> so it started with two and three and four. Okay. Then we had a core group of about six members. <clears throat> Excuse me. Keep coughing. Apologize. Um, six members of the band. And then there were times where not all of the members could make it to the show. So then we would suggest, or they would suggest substitute players. <laughs> okay. So what happened were the substitute players came in and played, and then everybody loved the substitutes just as much as the core members. And so then we went from <laughs> six to seven to eight to nine to 10, to 11 to 12 to 13 to 14. Oh my God. Now we're, we have, I think 34. <laughs> Wait, 34? Well, they're not regular musicians, but we've had 34 musicians that have rotated in and out of our band. Wow. And everybody's fine with it. And it's I know it sounds unusual. Usually you have, you know, a band where you have band meetings and everybody's really serious and you're at the table. And it'd probably be a good idea if we had a band meeting one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we just have this fluidity where people come and go and everybody loves it, accepts it. Um, I would say out of the 34 ish musicians, I want to say a third of those musicians are from the jazz, jazz community, jazz trained. Mm -hmm. I would say another third of those musicians are folk and bluegrass people kind of like that country folk bluegrass. And then we have other musicians who are classical musicians all right. and all of these musicians come together and create music. I know it sounds fantastic, but it is the truth. Yep. When was the last time you played there? When was your last show? Our last show was last year. Uh, and that was in, let's see, we were, it was in November, end okay. of November. Yeah. So the weekend go, after Thanksgiving. Yep. Going back to the end of November of 2022, mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. many, how many performers were on stage that night? Let me see. It was me, Ryan. It was, it was, it was four, four, four people. Okay. Yep. And what instruments were you primarily using that evening? Okay. So Ryan Donnelly is a, is a, an amazing bass player and okay. he plays upright stand-up bass. Um, he's very much jazz trained, um, but he can play, you know, blues or bluegrass or country or anything. Mm -hmm. He can play classical music with the bow as well. Okay. <clears throat> he's a very talented guy. So Ryan Donnelly, Shout out to him. He likes to play Irish music too, because he's a Donnelly. So that's good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we play a lot of Irish tunes as well. Yeah. Okay. Ryan on upright bass. Then we had Jason Knight. Now Jason Knight plays uh, guitar and sings. He owns uh, a school in Monroe, Monroe, Washington. It's called Alderleaf College. And they teach people how to forage for mushrooms and you know, build a shelter, survive in the woods, track animals. And he's a very well-known guy, but he's also a, an amazing musician. He was one of the founders of the Wilderness Awareness School. And he's been featured on television. And he, you know, he was a consultant on Captain Fantastic. You know, he taught the actors how to, how to pretend they knew how to survive in the woods for that film. And so he's a very amazing guy. He was on guitar. Um, let's see. Oh. Then we have Candon Neri on the saxophone. Candon Neri, um, and he is from Seattle. 
he lives in Seattle. He's a jazz player. He plays mm-hmm. tenor and soprano sax. What I really like about him is when he plays, uh, well, I love both instruments, but the soprano sax, especially when we're playing uh, turn of the century or Tin Pan Alley or Prohibition era, you know, stylings, um, that soprano sax is perfect because it sounds like a clarinet. It's a higher end uh, sax. So, and he's a great player. Just and what, hey, what, were you, what instrument were you playing? I was playing guitar and I was playing the violin and the mm-hmm. fiddle. Yeah. Okay. And so, and I, and I was singing as well. All right. Now I'm going to tax your memory. Okay. You have a rotating crew of almost three dozen people. Mm-hmm. You had four people the last show. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest number you've had perform on stage? Oh boy. <clears throat> Let's see. I think uh, the biggest number we've had at a performance was about 12, 12. All right. And then sometimes it'd be eight and then maybe there'd be a group of four that would come up and then there'd be six. And then we kind of rotate and switch ensembles up during the three hours. Yeah. You're playing for three hours. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. Now, like going back to the very beginning of our conversation or the, the intro was that I was introduced. You had released an album in 2002. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So Timber Beast Town is a crazy album and it's not for everyone. Um, a lot of people love it. It's the reason that I re-released it. Uh, there were so many people that came up to me and said, I really want to hear that album again. Mm-hmm. I lost my copy. You know, my CD got scratched. My CD player is broken. <laughs> I lost your CD. I used to listen to that every day. Um, in fact, I remember um, a few years after I released it, um, I met a family in Yakima. Here, we're going to go to Yakima for just a second. Met this wonderful family in Yakima at the Yakima McDonald's. And my, my boys were playing in the, the, gym, you know, the play area. <laughs> and we just started talking. And I gave them one of my CDs. So then all, you know, a couple of years later, um, God, was it five or six years later? I got this message on MySpace. Oh my God, I just said MySpace. (laughs) (laughs) And it was this young lady and I was like, who is this person? And I just, I saw this beautiful smiling face, this beautiful young lady. And she was said, hey, I'm Carmen. And, And then she said, I'm a really big fan of your music. Do you remember you met my parents in Yakima? in you know in 2003 and i was like oh my gosh and at this time i think she was 18 or 19 when she reached out to me and i was like wow okay i was confused i was really confused anyway so then i i i remembered oh that's right it was diane and these folks are from the yakima uh nation yakima tribe and um ended up you know uh uh ended up uh having a nice long conversation and then uh we worked with uh uh it was a program for for youth with Nike designing shoes and Carmen and her family were involved in that kind of thing. So, but they, so Diane, the one that I met in Yakima, she, every Sunday, she told me every Sunday she would put on the CD and it was cleaning day. And so this family, including Carmen and her brother and 
mom, they would clean the house from top to bottom and they would listen to Timberbeast Town <laughs> all the way through. It was their ritual every Sunday. They would listen to my album. And I thought, wow, that is just so interesting. So, so interesting. So a lot of people like that, people that were like, hey, I used to listen to your album every day. They're like, you need to re-release it. I was like, okay. You know, and now that I listen to it again, you know, I'm my ear is way more refined. And I have had so much time with musicians that are absolutely, you know, four or five times better than I am. And I've refined my ear over many, many years. This is 20 years ago. So when I listen to that album, you know, I, as a critic of myself, can pick it apart and say, oh, I wish I could have done that. But oh, boy, I wish. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But the thing is, the, the heart of the matter is when you have something, an expression, and I encourage all musicians and artists, just release it. Just do it. Just do it. Even if it's not absolutely 100% perfect, if it's 90% there, release it because it needs to be heard. And in order to grow as, as a musician, as a human being, you need to put your mistakes out there. You need to release the material. You know, some people sit on something for years because they can never, they feel like it's never good enough. It's never good enough. So I was like, I was like, I'm going to just release this album. I know it's raw. I know it's crazy. I know some of the lyrics are like offensive. They are nowadays, 20 years ago, you know, maybe it wasn't as offensive, but 20 years later, some of these lyrics, you know, boy, if they played them on the radio, they would, it would be uh, probably, uh, it would be a problem. It would be a problem. There's some colorful language. Let's just put it that way. Okay. So there you go. That's, I mean, and it makes sense because we're talking about, the we're talking about timber community nervous breakdown it's like the logging towns of snoqualmie and north bend having a complete nervous breakdown that's mm-hmm. really what the album is <laughs> all right so as an artist here's a question yeah. for you as an artist so you, you yeah. mentioned you mentioned you know you your your ear is more refined you've been playing mm-hmm. music for 20 more years i'm going to guess that you're a a better music technically a better musician today than you were 20 years ago. You're okay. You're more at the technical aspects of it, right? Yeah. I would say, yes, I have okay. more refinement. For more sure. refinement. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you ever consider re-recording a past project? Oh yeah. No. Yeah, absolutely. Taking a song that was written and recorded, you know, say 15, 20 years, 25 years ago. Then revamping it. Well, maybe and, not. Maybe okay. You you said when you listen to it, you can pick it apart. Mm-hmm. So what about? And I, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of musicians. I've never really asked this question. And it is so you've got this song and you've listened to mm-hmm. it twenty years later, and you're like, oh, I wish I would have done this, or I should have done that, or mm-hmm. oh, that could have been played better here. From an artistic standpoint. Is it right to re-record something? And I, there's no judgment. I mean, that's not, it's not a black or white answer. But I mean, I guess the question is, if yeah. you picked one of your songs, would, would you ever think about recording it today using contemporary techniques that are available that you didn't have 20 years ago? Oh, yeah. No, and, and in fact, we've done that. So Tinkham Road, uh, actually, over the years, it's, Tinkham Road is now eight eight years old. Over the years, we actually took songs, or I took songs, that were from Timber Beast Town, this album we've been talking about, 
-hmm. and we redid them and we re-recorded them. So if you listen to our albums, it echoes, you know, okay. some of these songs that ha have been recently re-released. So the, the re-release are like the original raw, you know, versions. Mm -hmm. So yes, uh, Tahoma is one of them. It's about Mount Rainier. Um, we have Tomorrow Brings Another, which is the name of our album, Tinkham Road. That came from Timberbeast Town. So what's happening is that beyond music, all of these elements create a world. They create a, a place to visit. And you have characters, just like in a film, you have names of characters. And these names keep coming up. And just like Andy Warhol would take an image and then print it you know, several times in, in different colors, slightly different colors, mm -hmm. uh, this music that we're talking about in this episode is very much like that where characters and names and phrases and melodic phrases, they keep reappearing, but they're somewhat altered and changed and tweaked and, and they become their own world. They become their own language. It becomes a culture in itself. And that's, what's exciting to me is after 30 plus years, it's beyond, you know, being music. It's now, a cultural formation or an association you know i have slang that comes that's regional that we use in our our you know lyrics mm -hmm. that you find in washington history and just keeps coming up all right i know that's a lot man i i can barf out a lot of info you, you, you really no no don't apologize you really can and and i think what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna like pump the brakes going to ask you some of my stock questions that I ask all my guests and we're going to mm -hmm. wrap this episode up because I got a couple other ideas where I'll talk to you when the, we're not recording and then get you back on, or at least try to get you back on. I won't make you commit publicly to saying yes at the moment. All right. Okay. So here's my, here's my stock questions. I'd love to ask all my guests. Where's a great place to get a cup of coffee in North Bend? All right. It's a very, very good question. Now, if you're a David Lynch fan or a Mark Frost Twin Peaks fan, you can get a damn fine cup of coffee at Tweed's Cafe, also known as the Double R Diner mm -hmm. or the Marti. When I was a kid, it was called the Marti Cafe. You can get a damn fine cup of coffee there. And uh, most of uh, many people that visit the area, tourists, will find themselves in that cafe. And it's on the corner of North Bend Way and Bendigo Boulevard. Mm -hmm. Other than that, uh, other places to have a really, really, really good cup of coffee. I would say Aroma Coffee in Fall City, which is about 15 minutes away from here, 10, 15 minutes, Aroma Coffee. And they are situated in a historic building that used to be the very first uh, phone operator oh okay yeah and right. yeah for the entire town there used to be an operator there just like in little house in the prairie where they're <laughs> you know switching people in and out of the phones yeah listening in on the conversations yeah okay absolutely yeah all right um so, where else oh okay. go ahead I'm all right sorry. so part two of the question is i'm yeah. traveling I'm, I'm i'm showing up to north bend around lunchtime where's a great great place for lunch oh my gosh okay so the Iron Duck, it's on the corner, uh, right across from the Sure Shot Pub, also known as the Sure Shot Tavern, mm -hmm. 
along North Bend Way. So if you're at Tweeds and you walk along the sidewalk toward the east on the south side of North Bend Way, uh, on the corner there uh, is called the Iron Duck Restaurant. Great food, great atmosphere. Everything about it is awesome. Plus, it is very haunted. It's got ghosts. Okay. okay. Yep. All right. Last question. And I have a hunch. I know what your. I don't. I have a hunch. I know what your answer might be, but I'm gonna. And I'll admit if I'm right or wrong once you answer the question. Cake okay. or pie, and why? Oh boy. <laughs> well, I know that you. I know that the predictable answer. I'm yeah. just going to tell you what the predictable yeah. answer would be. Yeah. Pie, cherry pie, yeah. obviously. Yeah, you okay. already figured that one out. That, that's, okay. Uh, okay. So, but no, for you, truthfully, Bob, cake or pie, and why? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say pie, but I'm gonna say lemon meringue because lemon meringue pie. My grandmother Ella Antone made the most amazing lemon meringue pie. My mother also echoed right. that skill, and there you go. Okay. That question, I stole that question from another podcast host. And I love people's debate. You can watch them debate mentally with themselves. It's it's so, it's a simple question, but the answers get really conflicted. All right. So for this episode regarding your music, what mm-hmm. didn't I ask you that I should have? Um, I really have no idea. Okay. That's great. Part two of that question, or now for you, where can people find your music and find out more about you? All right. Yeah. So on YouTube, if you uh, look up Tinkham Road, just like the exit, uh, there are two full albums available on YouTube. You can find that on uh, Apple Music as well. You can also find it on Spotify. Yeah. Um, Timber Beast Town, this crazy, you know, album that we were discussing can be found on Bandcamp. So if you just simply Google Timber Beast Town, Bob Antone, and it will come right up or go to Bandcamp okay. and you can download the entire album. But um, I have a YouTube channel as well, uh, Bob Antone or Northwest Roots. And on that channel, um, I post, you know, original songwriting, but also obscure uh, regional music and unusual music that people might enjoy. Awesome. I'll put links to that, to those in the show notes so that people can just click on them too. So to try to make it easy. So I want to ask you, okay, let me ask you a question real quick. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That was a little awkward, wasn't it? That's okay. It's a casual You'll conversation edit. over coffee. It's supposed to be awkward. You'll edit it out later anyway. No, no, anyway. no probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so out of all of the subjects that we discussed, as the host, and uh, what was the most interesting to you uh, of what we discussed? So a couple of things stand out to me, and, and, and that doesn't mean that other things didn't stand out, but two things stood out to me. Number one, the the... The, the musical influence of, of Rachmaninoff and the hobo music, that just seems 
not typical, that's not the right word, but it just a very unlikely pairing of musical influences, okay? Which I find to be very intriguing. Uh, number two, I want to know which direction Tinkum was going. I want to know if he's going east or he's going west, and your, your explanation didn't answer it for me, which is okay because you don't know. But the point is it, there's some, like, I want to know. Was he coming from the Yakima side? Was he coming from Seattle towards Yakima? Or, you know, I mean, what? Let's talk because you you described it as a uh, a secret trail that locals were using, right? They And they report back. And I'm curious, not that we can ever go back in history, right? Because we can't. But I'm curious, which direction was this guy going? Oh, he, he was going east to west. And, he was and the people west. that, yeah, and, and the people that reported back to the Longhouse, they were they were part of the native community. So they, right. were, they were in western Washington and Falls City. Right. So they saw yeah. him as he was approaching Falls City then. Yeah, the, the folklore the folklore is that these mm-hmm. two Native American warriors were watching from the brush, and he had no idea that they were there. And they reported back to their chief and said they saw a strange man wandering. Huh. And and yes. so, yeah, that's the story that I was told. And and that's folkloric. Sure. You know, no, some, no. some of it I saw in writing, but some of it's folkloric. So it's just it's just the the history of the area the history of the region it's it's full of these stories the the Maury Island piece um is is fascinating the the thing that you mentioned and I am purposely not talking about it because I want to get you back on to talk about it but the other mention that you 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 know you threw out the word bigfoot and that's an intriguing story about the area, about the region, um, the, 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 what I know very oh. little about it. And, oh, but what boy. I, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, but what I do, what I am aware of, and this is, you know, coming from a, a, a position of limited knowledge, mm-hmm. is that it's a very polarizing topic. Oh my gosh. You are and, correct on that. And, I, I'm very curious about hearing about it. I, mm-hmm. you know, we've, I mean, I've, I've spent my entire life living in Washington state, grew up, grew up in the kind of the Puyallup area by, by Mount Rainier, if you will. You know, I, it, it's been in the periphery. It's whispered in the winds, if you will. Right. And it's intriguing. One of my, my the producer of the shows talked about it with me, you know, hi Todd, how you doing? Um, <laughs> And, um, you know, I would love to have you back on. And I was going to mention this when we weren't recording, but what the heck, we'll just do it. You know, I would love to have you back on to talk more about the, the, the paranormal, the, um, yeah, I just, I'll leave it at that. Cause I think, especially as it relates to our region and to Washington state, I, I, I am very confident that there's an amazing story or group of stories that could be shared. Oh yeah, for sure. And then, um, you know, leading up to that, or uh, let's see, I I could mention really quick um, in April, I'm going to be a speaker at a very special Bigfoot event in Chehalis, Washington. What, what, go ahead. Let's elaborate on that. What's the, what's it called? Do you know when it is? Yeah, it's April 15th, I believe April 15th, which I believe is also tax day. 
Oh, yes. Uh, Thank you for reminding us. <laughs> great. So anyway, um, yeah, so that's going to be in Chehalis, Washington, the Lewis County Historical Museum. Uh, it, the event benefits them financially. Uh, there are going to be speakers presenting information in connection with the Patterson-Gimlin film and other um, tales of hoaxers. So there's going to be a discussion at this event talking about the difference between what is clearly a hoax and what is not a hoax. Okay. And there is evidence that will be presented. And the revelation that day will be so huge. It's mm -hmm. going to be so huge because that Patterson-Gimlin film is so famous. It's from Northern California, uh, but it stretches into Washington because, as you know, Bob Gimlin is from Yakima, and so is Roger Patterson. They're both from Yakima. And I met, and we met, I'm not going to go too much further, but we met Roger Patterson's grandson uh, this past summer, 2022. So there's going to be some major, major announcements, and I'm going to do a presentation uh, about uh, our local neighborhood here and the difference between what I can say confidently uh, is a hoax and what is not a hoax when it comes to Bigfoot. So it's going to be a pretty solid presentation all around. Is there an online um, website for this, this event? Do you know? What I would do is I would, <clears throat> I would uh, look up Lewis County Historical Museum. It has not been announced officially yet, but I have the flyer April 15th is, is the, uh, the set date. Um, and, but he hasn't started the, the director has not started advertising or released okay. it to the public yet. It's okay for me to mention it lately. Okay. Um, it's fine. Um, okay. but yeah, I don't think they'll find anything yet. Uh, but in a few months, within a few months, you will see, uh, on their website, the Lewis County historical museum awesome. website. Yeah. Well, Bob, thank you for spending some time with me today. I appreciate it. I mm -hmm. am looking forward to uh, doing even more listening to your, to your, your music. I've enjoyed everything that I've listened to so far. Um, and I'm glad my friend Ken um, thought enough of what you somehow, I don't want to say you posted it, but somehow it was, you know, this introduction was completely because of, uh, you know, I don't know that I would have, when I would have stumbled across you, under normal circumstances. So it was many thanks to my friend, Ken Cadu, uh, for doing that. And then oh. I, do you know Ken Cadu? He lives, he lives in North Bend. He's, he's a new resident of North Bend. You know, I, I do not know Ken Cadu. I'd like to meet him, but, uh, again, um, that's one thing that I, I think is very, uh, flattering is when a stranger, someone you don't know personally, uh, likes your music or likes your art. Um, that's definitely a, a compliment. So I thank you both. Well, thank you for being on the show. Oh, I had a lot of fun. I hope uh, I hope you did too. I did. It was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed myself. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at ExploreWaState. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at ExploreWashingtonState.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. Glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.